Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here with Dr. Charles Goldman as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A shout out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Thanks also to Noche, Des Moines' premier location for cabaret and jazz, located on Walnut Street just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. And finally, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers, even in January. All right, welcome to the program. Later in the show, we'll be talking about the impeachment trial. I'll give you an update on that. We'll also, um, we'll also be digging into some other stuff. Uh, and, uh, of course, everybody wants to know what's going on with the caucuses. So we're going to kick it off with a conversation about the Iowa caucuses. First of all... Well, before you start, I was just going to say about the caucuses. Okay. There was a, um, I know you have your list. But <laughs> there was an opinion section um, from Dave Leonard in the New York Times today just castigating that this has to stop, that the Iowa caucus... Oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's been not just in the Times. No, it's I understand. Been in the I mean, yeah, this was, and a bunch yeah. of other places, yeah. I, Nobody likes us. Well... It's not, it's not just enough that we're flyover country. Um, uh, it's, it's how many... It's a, nearly every month of the year for four years. But now they just don't want to pull the caucuses away from us. I, I, I it's leg- a mistake. I, I legitimately think that um, going with an, either something akin to a nationwide primary or... You know, having multiple Super Tuesdays oh, yeah. and limiting the campaign to six months at most would be far better for this. Well, country. I, I totally disagree because this is what gives you an opportunity to really get to know the candidates. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind sharing the the opportunity with other states. Let let four other small states go first next mm-hmm. time. Rotate that. But to give small states an opportunity to really, uh, you know, engage with the candidates. I mean, we learn things about the candidates that other people don't get to experience and. Hopefully they will, you know, trust some of our judgment and take some of our research and deliberation seriously. Well, but I think the the problem people have with it is that these are not states that are representative of. Oh, I don't buy that at know, all. That's the not, diversity of the country. No, no. So okay, so or Iowa. Of age. Iowa is ninety percent white, but the Democratic voters, especially the caucus goers, tend to be much more diverse than the state's population as a whole. That's and there 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 are there and there are plenty of states that are more white than Iowa. About what, fifteen or so? So you know, I mean, yeah, but I mean, these, you're talking about percentage points. I mean, you, you certainly have an argument with, for instance, South Carolina going early. Why a state that hasn't voted Democratic in you know, well, they go for no, a century? I, I think that's okay. And you've got why? Why not? I, I think it's fine to have that kind of diversity. I mean, right now I like the mix. You got a midwestern state, you got a northeastern state, mm-hmm. and, and both those states, Iowa and New Hampshire, can go either direction. South Carolina, yes, consistently goes Republican in the general. Nevada can also go either direction. You know, that, that does, that's immaterial. In the primary, in a caucus, it doesn't matter how you vote in the general. I just think it's good that we have this diversity of a western state, southern state, midwestern, and northeastern state. I, I think my issue with, with the system is that the length of the two-year-long run-up to the primaries essentially means that unless you have a, a, a lot of money, you're screening people based on their capability well, have, we, to be able to spend we, through these we have, we have, endless... We have John Delaney to blame for that. <laughs> well, well, so. No candidate has worked so hard for so little. Well, I, mean, I, just, just, I, mean, I don't see how John Delaney... That's John Delaney's problem. Well, but he started so early. He's been to every county. Well, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, they've been running for a year and a half. And know, Bernie, and people ran case, out of money before even the first caucus. Yeah, well, I know. It, it is too long. I get that. But I don't think... 
I don't and think. And what do you learn more in a year and a half than you couldn't find out in three weeks? No, on, I do. On, no, I on do, Instagram I, and Twitter. No, I, th- I think you can learn a lot. <laughs> Charles, I've gotten to know you over time, you know, and the more I know, the less I like. But, you know, yeah. The, um, <laughs> but, you know, with a candidate, there was something to be said for, you know, meeting them multiple times in various locations, in various uh, environments, and. Uh, with different kinds of engagements, you mm-hmm. learn a lot. No, you, I agree. You, you I mean, learn it all. I weeks. think for us here, this is a great setup, and I, for the very reasons that you're you're making, you know. Um, but of course, the problem is that we're we're pruning the crowd, uh, you know, based on fairly unique scenarios. It's not an industrialized state. Oh uh, no, no, it, no! You're wrong again. There's plenty of industry in Iowa. Not uh, compared to Illinois or. No, no. You sure. Know, the South and it, actually, funny the Illinois Iowa border. Most of the industry is on the Iowa side. Well, not now, not since well, they, they since well, they made it, recreational marijuana over on <laughs> Illinois. Well, side. that industry is not going to be true. But you, you've got you've got various big farming and mm-hmm. and uh, agribusiness corporations that have headquarters on right. the Iowa side. Uh, lots of union jobs there. So you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I think most of the arguments that uh, that uh, East Coast. Uh, you know, elitists like uh, the New York Times and 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 you yourself. I think they don't hold water. I really don't. I well, think it's let's, just a, we, let's, we, why don't we move ahead to the you know some of the right. things we want to talk so about. The, the, one of the big things happening here in Iowa, leading up to the caucuses, is the climate crisis parade, and there's a coalition that's now grown to seventy organizations that's sponsoring this. It's starting to get you know lots of interest beyond the usual suspects. You know we've had plenty of Democratic political candidates who have expressed interest in being mm-hmm. a part of it, and we're making it clear this is not a political event. This is not a partisan event. If you participate, you must do so. You know with a focus on climate, not a focus on making this into a campaign event. But interesting, uh, just today we got uh, we were re- uh, we had the uh, campaign of Joe Walsh reach out to us. He's a Republican running in the primary mm-hmm. against Donald Trump. And believes very strongly that Donald Trump is wrong on climate, so that's interesting. We've had groups from mm-hmm. around the country, including some really large uh, organizations that that uh, that promote uh, voter registration in minority communities and poor communities, want to be a part of this. And again, it's not a political event, but it is attracting a lot of political interest. And I, I think there's going to be a good crowd and uh, and some pretty um, pretty powerful moments. Well, who's going to lay the ground rules for what would be allowable in terms of the presentation? Well, there's a steering committee uh, of among the 70 organizations that are co-sponsoring and. Uh, you know, we have within that steering committee, there are groups that are very political and there are a lot of 501c3s that are very educational. And we have to make sure we respect the, you know, the common denominator there is our concern about climate. We have to make sure that we're not, you know, going too far in the political direction because mm-hmm. we don't want to alienate or, or, or get those groups in trouble with their 501c3 tax status. So isn't the NRA a 501c3? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> I'd hardly call them apolitical. No. Anyway, so that, that's coming together really well. It's going to uh-huh. be February 1st at, uh, at uh, noon at uh, Coles Common in downtown Des Moines. And, you know, speaking of climate, there's been a lot of focus on climate in the conversation here in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've had a handful of candidates. I mean, most candidates have, um, have, have good things to say about climate on the Democratic side, mm-hmm. and now apparently Joe Walsh on the Republican side, which, again, I think is exciting to see climate becoming a bipartisan conversation. But um, you've got one candidate who has said, um, I will declare a climate emergency on day one, and that's Tom Steyer. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know I, I don't know whether that's a litmus test. There's lots of different ways you can judge the best candidate on climate. Certainly, 
there are those who um, there are those who uh, believe that Bernie Sanders has the strongest plan, um, and you know climate activists are coming down all over the place. So yeah, I think it's interesting because you know we've we you and I have watched Bernie Sanders from the previous campaign, mm-hmm. and he's he's definitely had a metamorphosis I think in terms of the priority yeah. of uh, climate change. He, he was he was not willing to declare a climate emergency back in 2016. Yeah, he was not even on board with the pipeline, mm-hmm. uh, with opposition to the pipeline, so the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah. So anyway, it's um. Well, what's what's your take on on uh, Elizabeth Warren's statement that on day one she's going to ban all fracking by executive order, which of course it, will last it, only that, until they bring it to court. Well, and that's and that's fracking on public lands, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's pretty minimal. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a little bit of public land out mm. there, and there's a lot of other land, and none of it should be fracked right now unless we're going to, I mean, if we if we don't if we don't stop fracking or or exploding, you know, uh, oil and gas in general, you know, we're not going to see any turnaround in the direction we're going on on greenhouse gas emissions. So, it's um, you know, a lot of the things that are being said are fairly minimal, and it's amazing to me that some people have gotten really excited about, for example, Amy Klobuchar saying, I'm going to have us rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. Mm-hmm. You know, as Cory Booker pointed out, that's kindergarten. That's minimal. Right. Uh, you know, or I'm going to reinstate the Obama emission standards. That's really minimal. So, mm-hmm. you know, people need to be, you know, just because a candidate says something and is excited about how they're saying it doesn't mean we need to get excited. Again, one reason why what happens in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada is so important. Uh, I'm not seeing that linkage, but we can go All right. move on. <laughs> okay, so so hey, uh, Joe, Joe yeah. Biden. You know, mm-hmm. Biden talks sense on climate. He's even got some some pats on the back from uh, from climate organizations for his stand. But the problem that I've had is he says he's against pipelines, and then on the other hand, I mean, literally in the same same response, sometimes he'll go on to talk about replacing gas lines, existing gas lines that are leaking, replacing them with new lines. So the problem there is if you really want to stop the continued expansion of fossil fuel infrastructure, you can't just not build any more pipelines if at the same time you're replacing old lines. That makes no sense. So I tried to talk to them about this mm-hmm. the other day. And uh, you know what happened? We kind of pushed me. Oh, is that right? You kind of, you kind of, well, you I know, thought he challenged you to do push-ups with him. No, no, no. That was... Uh, <laughs> who was that? Gillibrand? I can't remember now. no. Oh, so, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. He, right, he, right, he, right, he yeah, challenged the farmer. That's right, that's right, yeah. And to, then he called him, a, do called him a fatso or something like that, but yeah. Well, <laughs> right. there's, some, there's some debate about Fat, whether... He fat shamed somebody. Whatever he actually said, yeah. But no, um, he... Um, when I, mean, I made it clear that I was going to support him in the general election, mm-hmm. and that that made him mad. He didn't even want to talk to me after that. Really? Yeah, I, I thought, because okay... Because he wanted to hear you're going to support him in the primary. Yeah, I, I, okay, well... You know, you know, I mean, make, make it easy for me to support you in the general. Don't, like, shut me down. Mm-hmm. And then basically, you know, push me away. Yeah. And then grab me by my lapels and <laughs> shake me. Right. The guy, the, guy, the guy should just have his hands tied, I think, when he gives a speech. He just should not be allowed to do anything to anybody. <laughs> anyway, um, I was just kind of shocked. Anyway. Well, I, it's interesting you say that because that's, that's kind of my approach to the caucus, which is um, I think – the caucus is an opportunity to let the Democratic Party know that I would not be satisfied with a centrist candidate. Yeah. Um, and well, but, so-called centrist. Right. I mean, what does that even mean anymore? No, I mean it. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't means really corporate mean friendly is what it means. 
So, but by the same token, I think my big disappointment with the progressive candidates are that just what you said, a lot of what they're saying is less than it seems. And a lot of what they're saying is still not dealing with the complexity of the climate change problem in the United States. Um, you know, an argument for repairing old pipelines is that if you don't use pipelines, then you just do it by rail, and that's even more poisonous to the environment. Um, and, and you and I both know that we cannot change over to a carbonless economy unless certain things happen. One thing that has to happen, among other things, is that we need to let the cost of oil and gas rise to the actual well, cost of producing and moving them, oil yeah. and gas. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the biggest subsidy to oil and gas is the American military, 750 plus billion dollars yeah. of taxpayer money every year to protect moving a resource that we now buy. Fr- I mean, if we're going to poison our environment in the United States by fracking, that it's just what you know, the point you made with the, well, with the pipeline coming through Iowa. None of that oil is going to be used in the United States. Right. So, so and, and none, <laughs> you know, and the, the military force that's been needed to, quote, protect our oil right. in the Mideast, sarcasm intended, you know, is now being used to protect our actual oil, oil coming from the U.S. that we're shipping overseas. Correct. <laughs> but it's all part of the same uh, subsidy that, again, makes, it's the only reason, well, that and all the other subsidies is that the only reason that, that, that uh, fossil fuel is at, is at all affordable. Well, you know, I mean, you want to you make people buy cars that are more efficient, let the price at the pump go to what it should be. It should be at least double, if not more, would, based yeah. on the subsidies yeah. between depletion allowances and everything else. So let's let's move on. I mean, one um, sure. w- one concern is that uh, the media have been uh, less than friendly to some candidates, but particularly mm-hmm. to progressive candidates. And we certainly have seen that with uh, with Bernie Sanders. But I think more than any other candidate, uh, I mean, I think Marianne Williamson also was was tanked by the uh, by the uh, the corporate media, mm-hmm. but no no one more so than Tulsi Gabbard. And if there was any doubt about that, what just happened in New Hampshire was astounding. You've got a town hall forum coming up. Every candidate on the ballot in New Hampshire is, is invited to participate, except Tulsi Gabbard, who is the head of two of the candidates who are, you know, she's the head of um, what, Duval, Patrick, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember who else is it, uh, Andrew Yang. But, but she, she's intentionally not invited to participate in these town hall forums, even though she's polling better than some candidates, and CNN has no explanation. They, they offer no reason. I mean, this is, worse, this is as bad as Donald Trump avoiding answering a simple question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it says volumes about who CNN is and what, where their alliance lies. Well, I mean, here's, here's all, a, all here's of a these solidly progressive big candidate. Corporations. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with NBC. These so, are big corporations so, who give the same advice always, which is that you cannot go too far to the left. You know, yeah. and and it, it's it's like on MSNBC when they'll they'll bring uh, you know one of the more progressive you know candidates on, and they'll have the they'll ask them that question about well, aren't do you believe in capitalism? You know, and the other the other day I was I was watching you know Bill Maher show, and you know he has on a a former never Trumper who's now of course a a total Trumper, <laughs> and uh, and and he's he's calling he's talking about I don't need leftist fascists. <laughs> leftist fascist. and and the uh, you know one of the, the, he had a Stanford professor on who said to him, you know you got stop using these terms you're misusing these terms socialism is a economic structure it is not a political structure it is nothing to do with fascism there are plenty of socialist countries that are not fascistic or communistic yeah. and so 
this equation is is perpetrated by the by the mass media. Mm -hmm. I mean, even those that seem friendlier to progressive. But you're right, and there's no candidate who's getting beat on. Actually, it, it certainly Tulsi Gabbard is getting beat on by the the mainstream media. The other, of course, is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And so, yeah, do you think do you think the mainstream media will ever even allow Bernie Sanders to be the nominee? I mean, not, and again, I, I use the words mainstream media in conjunction with the Democratic National Committee. I think they're part and parcel of the same the same uh, cluster of influence. And I think they have the same agenda. They want to preserve the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, and the status quo is clearly uh, not in the interest of most Americans anymore, right, center or or left. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm certain that the mainstream media and the DNC do not want Bernie Sanders being the nominee. And I think they found ways of preventing that from happening last time. Do you think they can do it again this time? Oh, I think undoubtedly. How are they going to accomplish it? Well, first of all, I don't think anyone's going to come out of the caucus slash primary process with enough delegates to win the nomination So first four, first four contests, who wins Nevada, South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Iowa? Um, I, I think Iowa is probably going to be Sanders. Uh, New Hampshire, I, I think, think certainly Sanders. Sanders. She's stronger uh, there than Iowa. Biden will win in South Carolina. Hands down. Hands down. And Nevada, I don't know. I, really I think Nevada know. could go with Sanders. So if Sanders wins three out of the four initial contests and Super Tuesday, I mean, he, he very well could win California. That's the mm -hmm. big gold mine of delegates. Um, you know, there's, okay, Klobuchar may win Minnesota. Warren may win Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Biden may win, a may win a bunch of the rest of the states. So, yeah, you're looking at a fairly mixed up, uh, you know, scenario going forward. Well, I think you, so, you're going to have the, the element also of Mike Bloomberg as you get out of these early primaries. He, I suspect he and or Stiers uh, will garner enough candidates right. to have a say at the conventions of what happens. Because Stiers is doing very well in Nevada mm -hmm. and South Carolina. I, I think part of the animus toward Sanders is just what Hillary Clinton said in this movie, you know, they showed at Sundance. You know, everybody hates him. We, we, everybody. Yeah. Tell that to the thousand people no, no, who no, were no. in Ames. I, no, Iowa. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the, the voters. But, 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 but within within the structure of yeah. the Democratic Party, yeah. people legitimately do hate him because and everybody meaning the establishment hates correct. him. Correct. And it's not necessarily because of his <laughs> it's not necessarily because of his left of center um, leanings. It, it's. I think they personally dislike him. Oh no! I, I think it's definitely his so-called left of center I, leanings. I, I, I think <clears> you <throat> underestimate how how much he is personally disliked. Um, you know, he is pretty crabby. Yeah, we, <laughs> I get that. We understand. His, grumpy, his, his grumpy grand, his grumpy grandpa. But I don't think that's why. Him. I don't think that's why the uh, DNC and the establishment and their corporate buddies in the media hate him. I think it's because he's a threat to the status quo. And I think, yeah. I think Warren, to some extent, is a threat to the status quo. I think Tulsi Gabbard is a major threat to the establishment, and especially the military-industrial complex. You know? <laughs> oh. and, and Williamson and Steyer are also threats to that oligarchy. Steyer, even though he is a billionaire, you know, if you, if you look at his proposals, his track record, his history, you know, once he got religion on climate back in 2007, he's, he's a solid progressive. And they mm -hmm. fear that. They don't want that. They want the status quo. Oh, I, so when Hillary Clinton says everybody hates Sanders, she means all my inside the Beltway Wall Street buddies mm -hmm. hate Sanders. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we, we went to event. We went to a Biden event on Saturday, and there were maybe fifty people there. Mm -hmm. It was a tiny space. It was packed. Right. Meanwhile, there were a thousand people at Ames. Right. At a Sanders event in Ames. So yeah, I know you're saying everybody. When Clinton says everybody, we know that's a very small universe. 
But it is the universe inside the Democratic Party. Yeah. And and you're right. So, I, okay, so Sanders... You see, the weird thing is, is they've run centrist candidates over and over, and they lost. I know. So this, that's, this that's the astounding wisdom, thing. Right. This wisdom that if you run a centrist candidate, that is the way to success. It's just what we talked about the last time. If If the Republicans say you shouldn't run somebody... That's the person you should run against Donald right. Trump. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and if and if Donald Trump says I fear Joe Biden, what he's really saying is bring on Joe Biden. I can. Well, beat him. in fact, in fact, <laughs> when we get to the talk about the impeachment uh, in the next segment, I do want to talk about why I think Biden's response to the impeachment tells me he is not ready for prime time as usual. Yeah. So let, let's just wrap this up sure. before we move on. So Sanders, let's just speculate. Sanders comes through the uh, primary. Uh, winning the most delegates. Mm-hmm. Do you still think that the DNC is going to find a way to keep him from being the nominee? I think the way they've structured it keeps him from being the nominee, which is that the super votes, you know, super delegates, super delegates don't come into play until after the first vote. And I don't see that you're going to be able to have a candidate. Either you're going to have like the situation like in Israel where you're going to have to have some kind of parliamentary you know, we don't have that coalition. Here. No, but not, in, within that. the party, you're going to have to have some kind of coalition candidate, or you're going to have a backroom. Well, can, can, know, the, can uh, the party determine a candidate as status quo friendly as the DNC is? Can it risk a, an open revolt within the party if it snubs Sanders? In the if Sanders actually wins the majority of state delegates, can they can they afford the fallout of? Not in, not 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 supporting it. Not, I, not giving I him just the don't think you're going to see a second episode <coughs> of people not voting for the Democrats because of what happened in the primary. You now know who Donald Trump is. You've got people with yard signs around Des Moines saying any breathing human being. Right, but do you think the DNC? That's every that's people around Des Moines and the, and the, and the base in general. But mm-hmm. does the DNC and the Hillary Clintons of the world, the establishment, do they fear? A Bernie Sanders administration more than they fear a Donald Trump administration. Um, no, I'm not convinced. No, I don't I'm not think so. I think that they fear being proven uh, wrong, which is that if he does run and win, it, it, all of their wisdom and all their consultants have managed to lose multiple elections. You know, I think it's deeper than I, th- I think a Sanders victory or any progressive winning again, whether it be Sanders, Williamson, Gabbard, Steyer, any progressive. Is going to be a threat to the to the oligarchy that they have established, and Donald Trump Donald Trump <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't threaten that oligarchy. He threatens a certain level of sanity and dignity and and, and, and political stability, but he keeps the economic inequality going, and that's okay with Hillary Clinton and her people. I mean that's that's a pretty a, a pretty severe charge. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, we're gonna take a break here, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman with me, Ed Fallon here at the on the Fallon Forum. We'll be back in a few minutes with uh, more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch 
and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. A quick shout out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located on 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store, and they are a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, especially this time of the year. Go in and get your breakfast or lunch and sit by the fire. Very nice. They've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures great and small for over 30 years at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. All right, welcome back to the program. Later in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, Hunter Biden and uh, some doobies, some questions about, about the concerns that Republicans are raising about his um, position on that board of directors. But first, um, we're going to take a look at impeachment. Charles has been tracking this uh, a lot more closely than I have. I've been spending too much time with my chickens. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, and each of those is named for the Trump lawyers team. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna butcher them at the end of the trial. <laughs> All right, so you should see some of the eggs are laying. They're not pretty. Well, uh, so I, I I think of course the <coughs> the dynamic of of the impeachment has changed, or you would have thought had changed quite a bit over the weekend. Um, as I was telling you, you know, I was looking at my email last night and came across uh, from the Times there a story about having gotten um, some copy of the draft that was submitted by John Bolton for approval to the White House in terms of national security issues, et cetera. And I think as most people now know, although the Republicans pretend that it never happened, um, everything that's in that book pretty much conforms to the case that the Democrats made about exactly why the aid was withheld. It was clearly linked to the Bidens. It was not linked to the issue of a generalized move against corruption by Trump in Ukraine. Trump, of course, being the last person who should be leading any kind of anti-corruption scheme. Um, and then, of course, at, during the same uh, weekend, we learn of the, uh, of the almost, I guess, hour and a half long uh, cell phone video of this donor's dinner where the two people that President Trump has never met, Lev Parnas and, and uh, whatever his uh, associate's name is, I always forget it, um, were there. And in fact, 
Lev Parnas evidently was queried by the president as to what he thought the president should do in Ukraine regarding, you know, he asked them what would happen if we didn't give them the uh, arms. And, you know, do you think they would, the, the Russians would just march in and take over the country? I mean, the president only has an entire government of national intelligence and military to ask this question. He's asking Grifter Lev Parnas, <laughs> you know, that to me was one of the more shocking things. Forget about the fact that, of course, he claimed he never met him. And, of course, today the president did say that, um, that uh, Bolton never had this discussion that Bolton claims he had. Tomorrow, of course, he'll say that Bolton was only in his administration for a couple of weeks. Um, and remember, he remember how long he was there for? Uh, 18 months. 18 months. Uh, well, that's, yeah. a, that's a few weeks. So, you know, of course, what has come out is that everything the president's uh, defense team is saying is, like almost everything the president says, a lie. But the defense team got up this morning and, the, uh, and the, uh, this afternoon, and the first thing that Jay Sekulow said was, we're not going to talk about things that weren't entered into evidence in the House. So we're going to pretend that none of this outside has happened. And they just went forward with the same defense, which is they didn't give him a fair chance to interrogate the witnesses. They didn't, you know, they didn't go with due process. And then they had Ken Starr, of all people, get up <laughs> to say that impeachment should not be weaponized because, of course... The man who weaponized impeachment, with the help of Ken Starr, right, 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 right. with the help yeah. of one of his minions, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, who was in charge of the asking the of writing the questions to ask the president about what was Monica Lewinsky's sexual response to the uh, oral sex that they performed in the uh, White House. Um, so they're they're preaching to us about not weaponizing the impeachment. Right, right. Um, but, but, I mean, this, this impeachment trial is markedly different from Clinton's impeachment trial in that truth is uh, an absolute casualty. There, there's, there's no, there, there's, it, it's just, there seems to be a shameless disregard for any material that is legitimately critical of what the president did. Well, I have a friend who's, who is a lawyer uh, within the federal government, and, um, you know, he says that what, what, for instance, Jay Sekulow is doing where he is clearly lying, not just about things about the president, but, you know, again, they're saying that there were no Republicans at the hearings in the House. It's a total lie. Everybody knows it's a total lie. In a, in a court of law, there would be an objection, right. and the judge would say, you got to stop. Right. You know, but, you know, uh, Justice Roberts is, as someone described Justice Rehnquist, uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, when he was... Uh, overseeing the Clinton impeachment is sitting there like a potted plant, uh, and and he is not he is not because again the role of the chief justice is not really discernible. And in fact, in the Johnson impeachment, the chief justice made rulings and then the Senate just overruled him. So, you know, but this isn't a court, and that's the issue. Um, but absolutely, you're right. There is truth has become a complete casualty in this process. So, so what what's this uh, the second week of this trial look like? Uh, well, it looks like that you know they're going to give the same defense they were going to give as though the Bolton you know book didn't the, the, didn't come out. They're going to claim that the president wasn't given due process, that the rules were unfair, even though they were the same rules that were used for the right. Republican investigation of President Clinton. That, and, and their basic argument, which of course makes no sense, is that you can't overturn the will of the people, that he was duly elected, which nobody is arguing, although we might. Well, um, that <laughs> because was, Clinton won by th three million votes. Right, he was duly elected. Well, he was, according and, to the current but, system. But yeah. the nature of impeachment, by definition, is 
if you're going to impeach a president, you're going to impeach a president who was duly elected. The argument Dershowitz is going to make, because uh, I don't think he's been up there yet, is that you could only impeach for something that's actually a crime. Now, the problem, of course, is because of this Justice Department you know, opinion that a president cannot be you know, uh, investigated for a crime while still in office, you could never accuse the president of a crime because you could never investigate it. So it, multiple constitutional lawyers of both sides have said that Dershowitz's argument is ludicrous. Dershowitz, of course, is a criminal defense attorney. That's what he taught right, for the most right, part right. at Harvard, and he's not a particularly good constitutional lawyer. And as you know, as many of the people around the president are, he's a has been. Yeah, and he's looking for his you know hour in front of the camera. Again. Well, because many of us uh, really want this thing to be over, but nobody more so than Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy okay. Klobuchar. Uh, and, and I it, think that is that it that likely is, to end this week? <laughs> it, it possibly could, because obviously if they're going to vote on whether they're going to have witnesses toward the end of the week, and there's going to be no more witnesses, it, it can't end this week, though, because remember, the senators can ask questions of the two sides. When the whole, when all the testimony is, is Correct. And so right? that would should probably take up most of this week, so what, I mean, leading into a vote on whether they're going to have witnesses. And that's an interesting uh, possibility, too. Do you think Sanders, Warren, Klobuchar, and to be fair, Michael Bennett, will take advantage of that opportunity, uh, regardless of whether it makes sense in terms of their capacity as U.S. senators, uh, maybe it makes sense in terms of their capacity as candidates for president? Well, what's the question? Well, will, will they, will they take the opportunity to ask questions? Yeah, it's, but it's written questions. Oh, it had to be written. Right. Okay, that's in the, block lettering. In block uh, lettering, <laughs> right, right, right. right, no, right, right. It, it's written questions, so you're not going to have the opportunity for them to ask a long-winded question. Um, or, like, or give an hour-long speech no, I mean, in the I, form of a question. Here again, see, this is, this is what I can't figure out. The Democrats are making this whole thing about the solemnity of the process, and you've got the Democratic candidates whining about having to be there. That to me, well, are, they, are they whining about it? Yes, they are. And, and I, I haven't you know, heard that. I guess. Yeah, they're whining. But where, where, where do you see that? Well, Sanders is whining about how he thinks he'd rather be somewhere that. else. Well, he, he, I think he's been fairly reasonable. About what it. I'm it's, saying is, shut your mouth. If, if me, you, or, me or Sanders? No, the, all the Democratic, all the Democratic, <laughs> you know, senators who are candidates. If you truly believe that this is a solemn and historic moment, you need to be there. You've been in Iowa for over a year. I'm sorry if you haven't convinced people by then. I don't think then, anybody's whining about that. I, I think I no, think they're I all think being no. The least well, well, you've, you've been paying ben, more attention to the hearing, but right. what I read in the paper in terms of their comments about it, they regard it as part of their duty. They've as been making statements they, that they'd rather be somewhere else. They can't wait to get out that night so they can get back here. Well, I bet, I bet a lot of the other senators are saying that as well. Of course they are. <laughs> but these people I mean, who wants to be locked these in the people US are Senate? running for the presidency and are talking about how an important and historic day this is. Then be part of it and play the role you're supposed to play. And yeah. don't. It's just the same thing. I and mean, this is, we'll get to my other my other thing here, which is that if they're going to call witnesses, it, there's going to be some horse trading. If ever, if they get the four Republicans to read. Mm-hmm. that they're going to call witnesses. Because the people they think would, on the Republican side, who would say, yes, call witnesses, are those who are in potentially vulnerable seats, including Johnny Ernst, by the way, who is in a potentially vulnerable seat. Yes, so, that's, seen as, that's increasingly seen as a swing seat. Right. So it is going to be a little difficult to come back to Iowa and have Johnny Ernst say, well, the president got a fair trial in the Senate. We didn't have any witnesses. We didn't ask John Bolton, who said that everything the Democrats said was correct. Uh, but we gave him fair trial, and we got yeah. to the bottom of this. I have a hard time understanding how you can refuse witnesses, whether you're, whether it's the defense or the prosecution saying the witnesses the other side wants to call, 
uh, will not be heard. I, I don't understand how Mitch McConnell can get away with that. Because Mitch McConnell, well, because the Senate makes the rules. Yeah. And he runs the Senate and right. he keeps okay, his caucus together. I get that. But morally, uh, you know, in terms of any kind of political integrity, well, okay, what? Well, does it, it doesn't uh, well, matter anymore. I, 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 it doesn't I just, matter. I just answered my own question. Never right. mind. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. That's, that's, this, this is what the impeachment one anything else is showing you. As you said, the death of truth, the death of integrity is a big part of this. I mean, you have a president who literally said today again, I didn't have this discussion with John Bolton. And there it is in writing. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and other people alluded to that same discussion because they went, you know, how, many times, how many people did he tell go to the White House counsel? Because he was concerned about the drug deal. Right. But, you know, the, the witness issue is going to be, let's say they decide they're going to have witnesses, which McConnell does not want to do. So they're going to horse trade on who the witnesses are going to be. Right. So the question is, who do the Democrats offer up to get Bolton as an invited witness? And to me, I would say we want Trump. The president is so you know the president under oath is more dangerous than any other person in the United States. He's lied under oath multiple times in civil cases. We know that. Like and that, remember, hundreds, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah. Remember that the. The way the Starr investigation got going was that Clinton lied under oath in a civil suit deposition, which led to their accusation about the Lewinsky situation. Mm. So, and, and being able to depose him about Lewinsky. So, you know, first of all, if I were Democrats, I think this is a great opportunity for the Democrats if they can force really? them. Yeah. Don't, don't you think that on a, on a deeper level, the um, pursuit of this impeachment, I mean, I, again, I, I agree that it's the right thing to do, but politically, I don't see it helping Democrats. I, I, see, I definitely disagree with that. I think Well, it, that makes you wrong. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I, I think this is, this is why it helps Democrats. Number one is that if you can force them to say we're going to have witnesses, you demand Donald Trump be a witness. Well, they, they, they won't. They will not call witnesses. Well, but if they don't, if they somehow end up having to because of the book, this is, this is my point. Do you think Mitch McConnell is going to be compelled to call witnesses because of something John Bolton said, wrote? No, I think because people know what Bolton wrote, know the president is lying, and that his, his, the account Bolton's writing is, is, in, is pretty much concords with what the Democrats said happened. Right, and do you think people care? People may care in Colorado, North Carolina, Iowa, swing places states. like that. You're saying swing states. Swing states, states. right. And, 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 and obviously Maine, where Susan Collins is, will think about it, of course. You know, so my point would be that if this does come to pass, it would be great. You know, because first of all, I mean, if I'm if I'm the Democrats, I'm asking for Bolton, Trump, and Giuliani. You, you know, you really want Giuliani to testify? Oh, Giuliani would be massive entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and since he was running the Ukraine policy outside of, you know, outside of the State Department, I think that'd be great. So then the question is, who do you want? You know, who do the Republicans want? Well, the Republicans Joe Biden. are going to want Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, my argument would be, and again, this shows you because I had, I had there was an article, a little article in the paper on Saturday saying how Biden says he wouldn't, you know, that he he shouldn't be part of this. He he would not go. You know, the whole thing again. Unless if he's subpoenaed, he needs to go, and he needs just to do sure. it. The other thing is, if this Joe Biden should want to go, because what are they going to do if Joe Biden goes there? Yeah. Joe Biden is <clears throat> going to go there, and they're not going to talk about Ukraine. They're going to talk about, what about the $1.5 billion the Chinese gave to your son, 
right? Right. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about in the next. A segment. little bit, right? So, but let me let me just uh, before we have to take a break here, let me wrap this up. What do you think is going to be the final outcome of the of, of the impeachment trial? Uh, probably no witnesses because McConnell's petrified right. of witnesses. Right. And uh, the president will be acquitted fifty three to forty seven. Right. And so I, I agree. I think it's hard to see any other outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's going to look even more lame now right. than it, even it did a week so, ago. So, so what is the political fallout of that conclusion? Um, the potential for the Democrats to actually take control of the Senate, which in some ways is more important than the presidency. How does that lead to the Democrats taking control of the Senate? Because it allows them to really campaign against the four or five vulnerable senators who went along with this charade. I'm not convinced that though that the voters in those swing districts are going to care that much. I, I disagree. I think that. Well, I, hope, I, I hope you're right. Actually, I think that I'd there like are enough right. people. <laughs> there are enough people who switched Obama to Trump and would, you know, potentially be Democratic voters, and they're not really the the angry white guys that you know everyone always talks about. It's actually women. Angry white women. No, they're not angry white women, but they were generally working white women. Okay. You know, and, and I think eventually you look at this and you see every day one lie after another, and eventually they say enough's enough. I'm t- yeah. People get well, tired. Certainly, of this. certainly, the, the the demographic where we've seen the biggest uh, shift in in the in, in, in politics across the country is suburban voters, mm-hmm. and primarily suburban women voters. Well, on the and, other group, which is not usually energized, seventy percent of people between the age of twenty four and thirty five want to see President Trump removed. Yeah. as part of the impeachment. That's why they push so hard to keep the college kids from voting in places like Ohio and Texas and other things, yeah. and other places. Yeah. No, well, I do you might be it. right. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say. To, well, I, I guess this will be over soon. This, um, this circus will be over soon. Sanders and Warren and Klobuchar will be back on the campaign trail, and everybody will be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it'll, it, we'll see how it plays out in, in the... Um, I mean, I don't think it'll have much impact on the primary election. Uh, maybe, maybe one of... Joe, one of uh, 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 President Trump's Republican primary opponents will feel some boost from it. I don't know. Maybe Joe. I, I don't really know what Joe Walsh, for example, has to say about impeachment. I know he disagrees with Trump on climate. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to whatever ruling the Senate um, lands on. And yeah, we'll see if it plays in the general election. Uh, we'll have to have this conversation in six months, and then you can say, "Ed, I told you so." Well. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll talk a little bit about, just quickly, about why Joe Biden should testify. All right. We'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon here with you and Dr. Charles Goldman. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. 
It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our local business partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. Again, that is my grocery store, a great neighborhood grocery store, and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And Gateway has a catering service that's really awesome as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Bold Iowa. An Iowa-based nonprofit working on renewable energy and working to educate folks and move them forward on climate action. That's Bold, Iowa. And thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, located right here in Sherman Hill and offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, with me here, Dr. Charles Goldman, um, who in, in his spare time as he's operating on, operating on his patients, uh, somehow finds time to... Uh, become prolifically uh, engaged with uh, with key news stories that I well, I, I, I share the internet access with the anesthesiologist. <laughs> okay, right, 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 right. <laughs> they spend a lot of time on the internet. I bet they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, somewhat related to the previous conversation about impeachment, uh, Hunter Biden, who, um, of course, uh, Republicans now love to hate, and uh, is coming under some criticism for his service on a, a board of directors. Right, and, and, you know, getting, kind of getting back to this whole idea of why I think that Joe Biden is not showing what it takes to win. I think it's despicable. And I'm, I'm tired of celebrity board of director members. You know, when, when you, the only reason that you generally put celebrities on board of directors of corporations is their name. Right, clearly. They almost never have any expertise in the, you know, the field of, of action of the corporation. Um, and they're either there for their name or for their governmental connections. And these people are paid. So my, my point is that Hunter Biden is emblematic of something that goes on on every side of the political and, spectrum and, and in this let, country. Let's make sure people are up to speed. Hunter Biden is on, to tell us about the board. Well, he was, on, he was on Burisma's board, which is this natural gas company in, in, in the, the Ukraine. Ukraine. He was getting like fifty thousand dollars, which is is a bit higher than board of directors. And he was on that because here. he's a, he's incredibly knowledgeable about natural gas. Right, and this is this is one of the talking points. I mean, I'm, this is one of the talking yeah. points the Republicans have made. And to me, you know what Joe Biden should say? Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, his his son is a ne'er do well. I mean, he's involved in this paternity suit down in Arkansas and everything else. But the point is, he should have come out and said, you know something, I love my son, but I too have a problem with this, and he shouldn't have done it, because it's the same question. Why is Nikki Haley on the board of Boeing? Nikki Haley gets two hundred. We believe get around gets around two hundred fifty thousand well, dollars a year because as UN ambassador, she flew so many places. She could be very familiar with uh, all the mechanics uh, right. of uh, now, aviation. Nikki Haley was not on the board when they went ahead and forced the Max Eight to be made. 
because the board said you need to make a plane cheaper, and the cheapest way, which yeah. the Muhlenberg decided, right. was to take a design from the 1960s and put engines on it that were not meant to be put on that plane. Right, we saw that ended. Right, so she wasn't on the board at that time, but Carolyn Kennedy was. Why is Carolyn Kennedy on the board of Boeing? Because uh, she was the son, the daughter of President Kennedy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she was the ambassador to Japan. That's the reason she's so on the board. So the, that's the, the qualification for being on an airplane company's board is ambassadorships. Right. Instead yeah. of having people actually know yeah. how to build a plane. So, okay, so those are two anecdotal well, examples. How common is this really? Is this really the, that big yeah. of a deal? Yeah, well, yeah. there's some others. You know, we have, um, you know, Olympia Snows on T. Rowe Price's board, which is What's a mutual, T. Rowe Price? It's a mutual fund company, a finance okay. company. This is from an article in 2013. Uh, Mitt Romney was on Marriott's board immediately after he lost the election. Uh, let's see who else we yeah, I mean, so what, Tom uh, Ridge, Al Gore we, was on Apple's board. The, the estimate is that as of 2011, there were about 700 celebrity directors. Yeah, so my question is, what, what, what do these uh, celebrity directors tend to get paid to serve on these boards? Usually somewhere around the quarter of a million to $350,000 a year. And wow. on top of that... <laughs> so it's really political payback. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, and on top of that, they often serve on multiple boards. For instance, the Boeing board. How do we get a, How do we get on one of these boards? Well, you have. This is the. This is the payoff. <laughs> this is the thing. If you've if you've ascended in the military ranks, and you leave. Oh, so Tulsi Gabbard of becoming. Be, yeah. We should be expecting Tulsi Gabbard to be on some of these boards. Right? Perhaps. Yeah. But, you know, but the point is. No way. <laughs> military, 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 high-ranked, you know, generals, admirals end up on a lot of these boards because it makes People them more famous more for other. Re- yeah. We have celebrity for other reasons. Former senators, presidents of universities. It's um, this is not a Nikki Haley versus Hunter Biden thing. It's despicable all around. Yeah, right. And if 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 in 2011 there were 700 celebrity board of director members in the United Probably States, that was about 1.5 <clears throat> billion dollars that was spent to compensate 700 people to do what? And then, as I say, if you're on four boards of directors, how much attention are you paying to the company that you're uh, on their board of directors? It, it's ludicrous. Well, they, they don't really want you to pay attention. No. They just want your name. Right, and then it, it gives this faux, it gives this, 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 this faux patina of that there's somehow democratic governance of these companies, you know, because, yes, you can vote the board of director members out at shareholder meetings, but it doesn't happen very often. Right. So, you know, here again, who who got who got sent off the board after the response to the first crash of a Max Eight? Because the board sat there immobile and waited till the second crash before mm-hmm. they did anything. No one who who took the fall? Muhlenberg. Yeah, you know, and Muhlenberg took the fall for fifty million dollars. And you know how much well, fifty million was what? Was his severance. And that $50 million just, is more than they're going to put in the fund for the people just, who died just, on the plane. You just plane. killed two planefuls of people. Here's right. Your 50 and they're going, to give the, yeah. they're going to give the survivors <clears throat> of those two planefuls of, of uh, people less than $50 million. Who ascends who, to... Who, who would not be outraged by that? Right. Who would that not be outraged crazy. by that? But this, yeah. is, this is the corporations. These are the corporations which we endeavor to spend so much time protecting. And, and this, is, this is the, you know, the treadmill from government, the military, to these corporations. Then you go back to government. And it, right. it's so not just lobbying. It's a revolving door. Right. It's, it's not just them, lobbying. Yeah. I mean, and so <clears throat> I, I, I share the Republicans' disdain for what Hunter Biden did. But it's typical 
of many, many people from everywhere yeah. in the political spectrum. Now, has that been brought up by, by some of the uh, some of the uh, Democrats in the... No, uh, I've not heard a word. Because they don't, they don't want to... <laughs> that's an apple cart they don't want to overturn. It, because exactly. They, there's a potential uh, a golden apple waiting for each of them exactly. at the end of their and, and this, government. And, and this relates to what I was saying before. In the 2016 election, in the same sense that Mike Pompeo told Mary, Mary, what was Mary Louise Kelly is the NPR? I think it's Mary Louise Kelly. She was the NPR reporter who he told no one gives a F about the Ukraine. Right. Okay. That's what he said. Right. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. You can, um, you can say that on, on an right. FCC managed radio station. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and so. Thanks for being careful. It, yeah. In many ways, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, the, the, the same thing. Do you think if Donald Trump hadn't hammered away at the email issue, that it really, did anybody really care? But he made them care about it because her unwillingness to answer and say, you know why I have my own personal server? Because for 20 years, you Republicans have hounded me and my husband. And you know something? She would have gotten people to vote for her if she had said that. Instead, they gave some kind of mealy-mouthed answer. Yeah. And, and I mean, then, three weeks before the election, Comey comes out with, well, we found more emails. Yeah, but, and that's an obvious response. You have to wonder why Clinton didn't do that. Yes. You, well, because, well, because her handlers, all, all the Donna Brazils and all of them, you know, they, they told her, don't do that. Right. So, I mean, why would they? Why, why would they make I, such a Because odd? they always play it safe. I don't know why. Yeah. But my point is that this is the setup. <clears throat> the setup is that if Biden, if, the, if, if they make a deal to get Joe Biden to come and testify, if there's going to be any witnesses in the impeachment, they're going to come at him. The Republicans are going to come at him. They're already talking about it in, in, in their presentation. They're already talking about the Bidens. And, and so they're going to come at him with, what did Hunter Biden do for the $50,000 a year and this $1.5 billion supposedly that China gave? Right. Okay? So instead of waiting until it comes out a month, you know, they hammer on it through the entire election if Biden's the candidate, take it on now. Let's yeah. see if he can handle it yeah. in this setting in January or February. Instead, no, he's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be part of a deal to get you know, Bolton to testify. That to me says that in, in that sense, I don't think Joe Biden should be the candidate because if you're not willing to fight now, what's so that, that, obvious that's, that's a bit of a stretch. No, because I, 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 again, it's the same thing. No one cared about the emails. Right. Except they heard it every day. They heard it every day on Fox, and they heard it every day on MSNBC. You mean Clinton's uh, yeah, email right. on the separate server? It's yeah, a, it, okay. was a, it was no one cared. And then three years later, the Barr Justice Department says, oh, there wasn't anything there after all this, right? But this <clears> is what he's going to face. Why not face it now? You know? See what they got. So why do you think that makes him an un, undesirable Because nominee? it says he's going to run the same kind of mealy-mouthed, middle-of-the-road candidacy that Hillary Clinton ran. The irony so do you is, think he will lose to Trump? I think he, that he would potentially waste whatever advantage he has if he does that. Do you think other Democrats in the uh, in the in the primary field have a would, would have would suffer a similar fate? I, I well, I think they're going to try to have something akin to this on everybody, but but Biden is particularly vulnerable because mm. his his son is a problem. Right. 
Not because I think he did anything illegal. In fact, what I'm saying is he did nothing illegal. Because this is what common. board of directors do all over the United well, States. It, it, is they pay it, celebrities. It may not be moral, but it's not illegal. It's totally not moral as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But it's not illegal. It's not yeah. illegal in Ukraine. It's not illegal here. But, you know, if you say I'm going to be the one who's going to fight toe-to-toe with Donald Trump and you're not willing to do this now, mm. I don't see why you'd be willing to do it later. And he's not willing to do it simply because he sees that, uh, that, that what he, his, his posture is to defend his son. Right, well, but that's fine. I mean, he, you're saying there's a way to do that. There's a way to do still. that and, and, and say that, yeah. you know, that my son was working for a law firm. This was partly through the law firm that they got involved with Burisma. You know, I do not tell my son what to do. He's an adult. Mm-hmm. I love him. I wish he hadn't done this. I had nothing to do with this. The Chinese $1.5 billion is, is, is a fantasy of so Fox that, News. That, that seems like a fairly simple response. Why, not, why would he not give that response? I don't know. Oh, I think but you... the fact that he's trying to avoid being a, a, a uh, witness in the impeachment, if there are going to be any witnesses, tells me that he doesn't want to make that argument. This would be the best time to make the argument. In fact, you would have more people hear that argument if you did it during the impeachment yeah. than you're going to do it on the campaign. So does Mitch Because there's going to be no debate. Does Mitch McConnell want to Do you to think there's going to be a, any debates in this About presidential what? campaign? Between Trump, Between Trump and, and, and the Democratic candidate? Trump will refuse to debate. Absolutely. Yeah. He is not going to debate. Because yeah. he has nothing to gain by it. Yeah. I mean, as the, when, when there was an open seat and when he was seen as the underdog challenging Clinton, yes, he had something to gain by debating. Even right. Though he has nothing to gain debater. by this. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll refuse to debate. But um, let, me, let me ask you this. I'm fascinated by the 700 celebrities who serve on boards and get, what, a quarter of a million bucks? Yeah, on just average. To, just to sit on a board of directors. Right. And they have no expertise. They're just a big, shiny object that uh, that, that uh, corporation can bring into show how cool they are. Or they, they have <clears throat> connections in the government or the military yeah, yeah, yeah. that right. help them. Sure. I mean, so they really do, don't do anything different than lobbyists would do. Right. You know, and with Nikki Haley, Boeing rewarded her because she was part of the anti-union you know, movement when she was governor of South Carolina mm-hmm. that allowed them to open up this huge Boeing plant right. in South Carolina, which is, of course, the one it's that makes... That's her yeah, payback. It, yeah, it's the one that yeah. makes the Dreamliner, which has questions about whether it's even another safe plane. So what, what, what corporate board do you expect Bernie Sanders to eventually serve on? Uh, hello? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea. It was a, it was a, it was a rhetorical question. The, the answer is probably none. <laughs> so... So what about Elizabeth Warren? What, what what corporate boards do you suppose Elizabeth Warren would serve on? Maybe some of the big banks? I could No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, totally I, kidding. I, I, no way. They'd never have her on. You know, there are banks. I, I see her on credit unions. Well, yeah, okay, maybe. Since they are the enemy they, in the they bank. They probably aren't going to pay a quarter of a no, million No, I don't think you get it from, from the credit union. Maybe you get free tickets to the Iowa Cubs. You know, but... <laughs> No, I, I think people need to understand this. You know, a lot of the critique that people have who they thought that, you know, Trump was going to change, you know, drain the swamp, um, it, it's true. I mean, people have, have become politicians. They used to be citizen politicians in the same way we used to have citizen soldiers. But, you know, what we have now are people who their career is being a politician. That's why people aren't willing to, uh, people on the Republican side are not willing to tell Donald Trump, I'm not listening to you. Only eight career non-politicians said, I don't care that Trump said, I'm not supposed to testify. They testified. Hmm. You know, and, and that's why 53 Republicans are afraid to go against Donald Trump. Yep. 
you know, which yep. is, is, is kind of pathetic. Who, 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 who was a persona non grata within the Republican Party and is now the king of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today, Charles. I appreciate your insights as always. And uh, we'll have you back on the show in February, I am sure. Again, folks, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our production team, Kathy Burns, Sherry Herdina, and, of course, my guest, uh, Charles, Charles Goldman. Uh, thanks to our, our local business partners who helped make this program possible. We'll be back next week, one way or the other. And there's also lots of options to listen to the show, podcasts on various community-owned stations around the country, and, of course, on Facebook. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.